Come to the last week in our uh, refocus sermon series, and so as I've said the last couple of weeks, uh, you know the the virus situation over this past year has kind of kind of left us uh, playing uh, defense, and so as the calendar has turned now to 2021, uh, we uh, wanted to spend time refocusing on our EBC purpose statement. That's why we've called this refocus over the last few weeks. The goal is to be a a bit more offensive, okay, a bit more purposeful, I guess, a bit more focused in the in the upcoming year. And so uh, just by way of review, and again you can see these canvases uh, up here on the stage that we've been working through. Uh, The first week we examined our upward focus when we talk about honoring God. Honoring God. There's, there's many ways that, that people, that Christians have, have uh, tried to bring honor to God throughout history. And what we talked about was how does the Bible lead us to do that? What does the Bible tell us about honoring God? And so, again, you can see on the second one here with kind of the bullet points underneath that, we, we honor God by worshiping God. We worship God through our humble submission to him. We bow before him. We recognize his worth. We recognize his importance. We recognize his ways above our own. And then along with that, we, we love God through obeying his commands. We reciprocate the love which he first showed us by striving to walk in his ways, walk as he leads us to walk. So that's our upward focus. Last week we examined our inward focus and we talk about building the body. And so the body is built as our faith grows and our faith grows through discipleship and personal evangelism. We talked about discipleship specifically last week. We saved evangelism for today. But in our discussion about discipleship, we talked about how disciples of Jesus sacrifice to walk in the ways of Jesus. They learn what it means to walk in the ways of Jesus. And then, of course, they walk in the ways of Jesus. That is what it means to be a disciple. And then the body is also built as we love others by looking to their interests And we spent time being challenged by the example of Jesus at the Last Supper, where he washed the feet of his disciples and then called them to go and have the same attitude toward others. So that brings us up to today. We're on the far side over here, number four. Today we are examining our outward focus, what it means to disciple the nations. Disciple the nations. Our God is the God of the universe. Something that none of us can grasp in our finite minds. He is the God of every square inch of this universe. He is the God whose kingdom knows no borders. He is the God who has created all people in his image. And as a result, then, of those things, the message about God's love, the message about his sacrifice upon the cross is one that is relevant to all people, in all places, at all times, 
whether or not they recognize that relevance or not, that message is relevant. And because that message is relevant to all people, it is a message that we as disciples of Jesus ought to take to all people. Our calling as, as a church body is not to gather in the church building, hunker down and, and just wait out the chaos outside until Jesus returns. I mean, we just talked about it, you know, is today the day? Is this that glorious day when Jesus will return? That day is coming and we ought to live in light of that day, but it's not hunkered down together just waiting. We're called to go, and that, that song drew that out in different ways. Our calling is to take that wonderful, relevant message to those who so desperately need to hear it. And so when it comes to the specifics of how we carry that out as a church body, how we disciple the nations, we focus on two main areas. And again, they're, they're in sermon notes this morning. You can see them on the canvas here. We seek to support missionaries and local ministries. We disciple the nations that way. And we also seek to send mission teams near and far. So let's, let's start first by talking about our support of missionaries and, and support of local ministries. It'd be foolish for us to think that, that uh, our church body can disciple the nations entirely on our own. And we don't think that, right? I mean, it'd be foolish because there's languages that we don't speak, there's resources we don't have, there's knowledge that we haven't gained, there's, there's giftings that we haven't been given. However, God has connected us with individuals or families or, or organizations that are seeking to disciple the nations in ways and in places that we cannot. And so for that reason, we seek to partner with them. We seek to partner with missionaries and local ministries that are carrying out this same purpose to which we've been called. And so as we think about partnering with them and how we do that, there's really two main ways, two main ways that we, that we partner with missionaries and local ministries. First, we, we partner with them financially. We do it financially. Uh, uh, th this past summer, in, in our journey through 2 Corinthians, you may remember that we spent a few weeks talking about uh, the, this offering that Paul was organizing for, for the poor believers in Jerusalem who were in need. And so as he wrote letters and as he, he visited different churches, he encouraged them to participate financially in this offering that, that he was collecting. And as he encouraged them to participate, he, he briefly kind of, uh, he spoke about all the great things that happened through that kind of a partnership. And so I would encourage you to turn with me to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, as I said, we, we just examined this section of scripture this summer, uh, but I do want to kind of quickly hit on the high points once again, just to refresh ourselves with what Paul was saying about that financial partnership. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, I would encourage you to follow along, starting in verse 10. And it says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing 
and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So again, ju just a few things to note here to, to refresh our memories from this summer. Uh, first, our, our God is a God who supplies what is needed so that we can be generous towards others. He supplies us in that way. And, and you see this in verse 10, um, the first half of verse 11. God provides the opportunity to be generous. And he's not limited by anything. He's not limited by stock market. He's not limited by a drop in supply or border crossings or pay cuts or anything like that. There's nothing that hinders God's ability to supply what is needed. And in this instance, to supply what is needed to be generous. And it reminds me of the story of Elisha and the widow from Second uh, Kings chapter 4. Uh, in that story, there's a widow who had two children and she had no way to pay her debts. Uh, and so as a result, her children were in danger of being sold into slavery. And so she cries out to the prophet Elisha for help. Uh, she told Elisha, I've, I've got one jar of oil left. That's it. That, that, that's, that is all that is left. After that, we have nothing. And so Elisha told her to go and to gather as many empty containers as she could find. And once she had done that, then she was to go into her house and take that last jar of oil and start pouring it into each empty container. And that's what she did. That's what she did. And wouldn't you know it, each container that she had gathered was filled to the top with oil as she poured and the oil just kept flowing from that last jar. And it was only when she ran out of empty containers that the oil stopped flowing from the jar. Now when I think about that story, I can't help but wonder how many empty containers did she gather? We're not told. Uh, I'm just curious. How many did she gather? And, and once the miracle was completed, once those were all full, I kind of wonder if she thought, oh, maybe I should have tried a little harder to get another one, or oh, I forgot about this one, or man, my neighbor had that one, but I didn't want to ask them. Like, I just kind of wonder what went through her mind once they were all full. I'm sure she was joyous, but was there any tinge of regret there? Any at all? See, in her life, God's provision was only limited by her faith. That was the only limit on it. God abundantly filled exactly what she set before him. No more, no less. He filled exactly what she set before him. When God leads us to be generous financially towards others, he will provide what is needed. And I think like with this story of Elisha and the widow, I think the only limiting factor is our faith. 
That is the only limiting factor. And this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This is not a give-it-all-away-and-you'll-be-comfortable-forever scheme. Uh, this is just simply noting God's promise to enable generosity. And it's really based upon that premise that we financially support missionaries and local ministries as a church body. God has called us to do it, and he provides a way to do what he has called us to do. So also in 2 Corinthians 9, we see that uh, in the last half of verse 11 and verse 12, financial generosity leads to thanksgiving. So not only will we be led to thank God as we see his promises fulfilled through us, those receiving the generosity will give thanks to God as well. As you continue on, we see in verse 13, glory is given to God. So when we give generously beyond what we thought possible and, and, and when others receive abundantly beyond what they thought possible, God gets the glory because only he made it possible. So not only do we thank God, but glory goes to God as well. And then, and then uh, finally in verse 14, we see that, that there's relationships deepened. Uh, we instantly become more interested in, um, devoted to, connected with people and ministries to whom we give financially. It's just how it works. And, and I think the flip side of that is true. Those who uh, are on the receiving end of that <clears throat> feel that connection as well. So we become partners in ministry, partners in gospel proclamation simply because some money has changed hands. I mean, how cool is that? God has set it up that way. So, so we see in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 that, that you know, all of those things happen through financial giving. And, and our purpose at EBC, again, is to, to disciple the nations. One of the ways we do that is through partnering with missionaries, local ministries. We do that financially. But that's just one way that we partner with ministries and local ministries. We do it financially, but we also cannot be negligent in our prayer support as well. That is another way that we partner with missionaries and local ministries. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. This is that, this is that famous chapter where Paul so vividly speaks of the armor of God. He, right, so Paul rightly, he frames our struggle in this world as a spiritual struggle rather than a physical struggle. And he then goes on to list the armor that is needed for such a spiritual struggle. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, uh, shoes of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit. Uh, that's a great inventory list that, that has instructed and inspired God's people for nearly 2,000 years. But there's one more thing which Paul listed that too often gets neglected when we study the armor of God. And that thing is prayer. Look with me in Ephesians 6 at verse 18. And again, this is immediately after Paul lists all those pieces of armor. He says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, 
making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now in that, I, I want to focus on the fact that, that Paul, right, the apostle Paul, the Paul who planted churches all over the known world, the, the Paul who went toe-to-toe with philosophers and theologians and governors, the, the Paul who performed miracles in God's power, understood the necessity of believers praying for him. I mean, I, I think we just need to let that sink in, that Paul wrote the church in Ephesus and basically said, you need to be praying for me. I need your prayers. I mean, he understood that he might be equipped with the armor that he just listed, but it was incomplete if prayer was absent. I mean, we, we ought to view our, our prayers with the same kind of necessity that Paul viewed prayers here. And I came across an incredible story that, that pertains to this reality that I want to share with you. And this is recorded by E.M. Bounds in one of his books. Uh, He writes, Some years ago, the record of a wonderful work of grace in connection with one of the stations of the China Inland Mission attracted a good deal of attention. Both the number and spiritual character of the converts of this station had been far greater than at other stations, though the consecration of the missionaries had been just as great. This rich harvest of souls remained a mystery until Hudson Taylor, on a visit to England, discovered the secret. At the close of one of his addresses, a gentleman came forward to make his acquaintance. In the conversation which followed, Mr. Taylor was surprised at the accurate knowledge the man possessed concerning this specific China Inland Mission Station. But how is it, Mr. Taylor asked, that you are so conversant with the conditions of that work? Oh, the man replied, the missionary there and I are old college mates. For years we have regularly corresponded. He has sent me names of inquirers and converts, and these I have daily taken to God in prayer. At last the secret was found a praying man, praying definitely, praying daily. I mean, that's an incredible story. Out in the field, there's great work going on in this one spot. What is it? What's the reason? What's it? And they couldn't figure it out. It was a guy praying, a guy praying. When James writes that the prayer of a righteous person has great power, he's not kidding. He's not just imagining something that he hopes will happen, that there's truth in that statement. And it's not because we are so great. It's not because our prayers say the right words or or, or anything like that. It's, It's because God has chosen to work in that way. He's chosen to work through the prayers of his people. Don't ask me why, but he has. That's how he's chosen to work. And to really to aid us, in this, in praying for our missionaries and local ministries, there, there's an uh, insert in today's bulletin. 
So if you grabbed a bulletin, it's in there. Um, if not, I would encourage you to grab one on the way out today. It, it is simply a concise list of the, the, the people and ministries that we support as a church body. Um, you know, you financially support each of these every time you, you donate money to the church. That, that happens automatically. And the offering plate was gathered today. A portion of that is going to go to these uh, people and ministries. But our prayer support as a church body maybe requires a little bit more effort on all of us as individuals. And so I would encourage you to allow that piece of paper to prompt you in prayer for those missionaries and ministries. Uh, and, and, and not out of guilt, not, not out of shame, but, but because our prayers in Christ's name submitted to God's will, really do have great power. They really do. So I would encourage you to utilize that, that insert in the bulletin. And then if you're watching uh, at home today, um, you can contact the church office. We'll send you one of those. We'll send you a digital copy, a physical copy, either one. Uh, you know, COVID and other things can, uh, can, can get in the way at times of, of different things, but, but it's not able to stop us from being a body of Christ that prays for our missionaries and our local ministries. So, so I would encourage you to do that. And then in addition, every, every uh, first Sunday of the month, a, a group here gathers in our conference room at 8 a.m., led by Ivan Ricky, and, and they spend time in prayer for our missionaries and our local ministries. And so I would encourage you to consider participating in that prayer gathering. Again, not out of guilt or shame, but, but just in an understanding that the prayers of righteous people have great power. And that this is one of the ways that we carry out our purpose of discipling the nations. So we do that through our support of missionaries and local ministries. That's the first sub point there. We also disciple the nations through sending mission teams near and far. This is a both-and approach for us at EBC. We, we realize that we have a calling to participate financially and prayerfully with others, but we are also called to physically participate, we ourselves to participate in this. You know, toward the end of every one of the Gospels, along with the opening of the book of Acts, Jesus specifically sends out his followers to carry on his ministry. And I want to look at two of those specifically this morning, Matthew chapter 28 and Acts chapter 1. And I'm just going to read through both of these, and then we're going to look at the similarities between these. So let's start in Matthew chapter 28. Follow along with me in verse uh, 16. And it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
And then go ahead and flip over to Acts chapter 1. Acts 1, starting in verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So three things I want us to notice that show up in both of these passages. First, the disciples still had questions and doubts, even as they were being sent out. Just because Jesus had risen from the dead, it didn't mean that everything all of a sudden made perfect sense to them. They still had doubts even as Jesus stood before them. Isn't that incredible? In Matthew 28, some still doubted. They wondered. They still had questions about what would happen next. You see that in Acts chapter 1. But do you notice what Jesus did after those doubts and questions were made known? He commissioned them anyway. He sent them out anyway. He promised his power upon them anyway. He didn't say, oh, oh, didn't realize you still had some questions. Didn't realize your faith wasn't all the way there. He still commissioned them. He still sent them out. I, I think sometimes we're told the lie that we aren't cut out to be sent out. I think that's a lie that gets told to us. And sometimes we can believe that. I, it, it, I'm, just, I'm not ready. I'm not who I need to be. I don't, I, you know, I mean, we know what the excuses are. Our, our knowledge of God maybe still has gaps in it right? Uh, we experience seasons of doubt. Um, we, we give in to sinful temptations. We aren't the most eloquent speaker. I mean, whatever. None of those things negate our calling. Not a one of them. The disciples still doubted, even though the resurrected Jesus stood right in front of them. And we all have doubts, and we all have questions, but we are all still sent out. We're still sent out. You and I are qualified to disciple the nations. If you take anything from this morning, take that. You and I are qualified to disciple the nations. Why can I say something like that? Because the second thing we see in both of these passages is that Jesus sends us out according to his power and his authority. That's why we're qualified. Those Jesus sends out, he can and does equip with everything that is needed to carry out that task. Everything. I mean, that is the witness of the entire Bible when you think about it. I, I challenge you, find one person in the Bible whom God called but did not equip for the calling that he gave to them. Find one person and, and come show that to me. It, it might take you a while because they don't exist, right? God, God equips those he calls, every person whom God has ever sent out, found that God supplied what was needed in that sending, in that going. Who am I to think that I'm any different from any other person? Who am I to think I'm different from every other person? 
who's ever lived. God's power has been given to me and it's been given to you and that power will prove sufficient as we give witness to Jesus. It, it just will. I, I, uh, I think back to when I first stepped into uh, the role of senior pastor. I kind of wondered how I'd be able to preach a sermon every single Sunday because the calendar can be relentless. Every week of the year contains a Sunday. Did you know this? Every week. I'm sure Tom knows this. Every week of the year contains a Sunday. And yet, yet, I went back and counted 191 times so far, God has provided what was needed to carry out that calling. And he always provides exactly what is needed one sermon at a time. I've never sat down to work on a sermon and found that God gave two. I've never sat down to work on a sermon and found that God gave zero. It was always what was needed when it was needed. God provided it. You know, because we are sent out with the authority and power of Jesus, we have all that we need to be witnesses who make disciples. And in those two passages then, the, the last similarity I wanna highlight, we're sent to all people. We're sent to all people. We are sent to make disciples of all nations, to those near and those far. And we're, we're never going to come across anyone on earth who is, who is outside of our commissioning. It just won't happen. That's why we as a church body must be going to those who are near and far. And, uh, you know, honestly, it's, it's, it's been a little while since we've sent an official mission team from EBC. Uh, you know, COVID has added barriers to that, obviously. Um, other things have come up, you know, when we think about our um, our uh, relationship with Life Song's work in India, that's not gone as smoothly as we had hoped. Um, much of that is uh, out of our control, uh, but we're hopeful for some resolution there sooner than later to the point that that relationship can be further deepened once again. Um, you know, we had some plans to go to East Asia a couple years ago to visit with our missionaries there. They had to pull back due to security concerns. So there's there's kind of things that have come up in, uh, in recent history for us. But we press on anyway. It is still our calling to disciple the nations, to send mission teams near and far. And so, you know, this work project at the, at the Salem Ranch coming up next month, it's one of the ways that we can press on in this purpose. That specific project will focus uh, more on construction than outright gospel proclamation, but that construction will enable further gospel proclamation. Uh, you see, mission teams take on all kinds of shapes and sizes and, and, and specific focuses. And, and along those lines, I want to place a, a challenge before you regarding another mission team. Um, we, we are putting together a mission team to directly take the gospel to those who need to hear it. Um, and this, this mission team is going to be sent out during the last week of February, and they will be traveling to the glorious, exotic location known as Your Kitchen Table. Probably not what you thought I would say there, but 
This mission team, again, it's not a mission team that's getting on an airplane and going to the far corners of, of the earth, but it is a mission team that is taking the gospel to those who are nearby and need to hear it. And so I'm challenging each one of us in this church body to join in this mission team. I'm challenging us to make it a priority during the last week of February to invite someone over for a meal at that exotic location of our kitchen table and share the gospel with them, those who need to hear it. And just thinking about that challenge might make us a little nervous, right? That's okay. That's okay. There's nothing to be ashamed of in that. Actually, today is your lucky day. We are, we are two weeks into a, a Sunday school class where we are being encouraged and trained to participate in this calling. Actually, we're only a week and a half in because we talked so much today that we're going to have to bump it a little bit. So uh, Matt Keene is leading that class, and, and he's okay with it. You are welcome to jump into that class now, even though we're a week and a half into it. Um, that, that Sunday school class can help you prepare for that conversation at your kitchen table at the end of February. So I would encourage you to, to, to think about that. Uh, and, and I realize, you know, COVID concerns may, may cause some hesitations regarding this challenge. Uh, this mission team is very flexible. It doesn't have to be a meal. Could be writing a letter. Could be, could be making a phone call. Could be going for a walk around the neighborhood. There's lots of ways to participate in this, in this mission team. Can't let COVID be the excuse. There's lots of ways to do it. We've all been commissioned by Jesus and, and really at the risk of, of being a little forceful and a little pushy, I'm challenging each one of us to participate in that commissioning during the last week of February. So you've got time to think about it. You've got time to pray about it. You've got time to plan it. Get it on the calendar. When it's on the calendar, we're more likely to do it, aren't we? I would encourage you to go home and just block out the week. You don't even have to know the day or the time. Just block out the week and say, the, the, I'm going to participate in that mission team that week. And remember, God gives you his authority and his power. He has given us exactly what we need to participate in that calling that he's given to us. And really to that end, I want to I end back at the story that I, that I shared earlier about Elisha and the widow. Rather than empty containers, how many empty souls are there around you? How many empty souls are there around you? How many people are in your life who've not been filled with God's presence? You and I may think that we are, are wholly inadequate to, to see those souls be filled. Well, I, th I think that small jar was wholly inadequate to fill all of those containers that that widow had gathered. And had it never been poured out, those containers would have remained empty. They would have. But through God's power and provision, that jar saw every single container filled to the top. It really was an incredible miracle. Now, I'm not trying to say that the salvation of every person in your life is, is dependent wholly upon you. That, that is a role that we cannot fill. 
our role is not to miraculously multiply the oil, if I can go back to that picture. Our role is simply to start pouring. That's it. It's really no more difficult than, than what the widow did, to simply start pouring. Our goal is to simply start pouring out the gospel. And God takes it from there. He provides what is needed. So let's be a church that does that. Let's be a church body that pours out the gospel and trusts God to do the miracle as we do that. That's really what our calling is. Would you stand with me? Let's, let's come together before God and commit ourselves to him in that way. God, as we come before you this morning, we, um, we are joyful regarding the work of salvation that you have done in our lives. It is an incredible work that we can't fully explain, we can't fully comprehend God, but, but we know that it's true, and we've seen how you've worked. And so God, as we, as we drink from the well of your salvation, may that, may that inspire us. God, may that overflow from us to the point where we can't help but disciple the nations. God, I thank you for the many ways that you give us opportunity to do that. I thank you for the families from our church who have, who have felt the calling to go, to go to other states, to go to other nations, and proclaim the gospel there. Thank you that we get to participate in that, financially and prayerfully. God, we trust that you'll continue to provide what's needed in those areas. And God, we thank you for the calling as well to physically participate in the ascending. And we trust that you will provide what is needed for that as well. God, I pray that, uh, that you would bring to our minds and, and hearts the ones in our lives that, that just need to be filled by you. And God, there's, there's nerves and fears and questions that come with that, but would you remind us again and again that you will provide what is needed? That our calling is simply to pour. God, I thank you that we get to participate in what you're doing on this earth in seeing your kingdom come here and now. It's truly a blessing. God, empower us, embolden us. God, we thank you. We worship you now. In your name we pray. Amen.